So with the launch of GPT chat and GPT-4, which is rapidly around the corner, there is now mass speculation and commentary regarding serious disruption of previously safe companies. If I've learned anything over the past year or so, it's the fact that safe haven, that word when it comes to a, spe a certain investment, is totally mute. It makes no sense whatsoever. There's no such thing as a safe haven. Fundamentally, true nuance is where value is found. And I think far too many investors have been caught up within this safe haven type mentality in which they solely passive invest. They solely invest within uh, Meta or Google or Snap, or one of these companies which are deemed as safe. In reality, I think that is much further from the truth than many people first anticipate. So there has now been commentary regarding serious disruption of conventional companies that were viewed as safe, such as Google. And in the light of new neural networks and language models, this commentary is becoming much more rigorous, I would argue. So firstly, before we listen to the All In podcast and a brief clip from what they said, what is the difference between Google and GPT? For example, people have been asking questions to ChatGPT, um, such as, give me a simple recipe for making French toast. And as you can see from the image on the screen, there is a range of ingredients, instructions, and some other additional commentary. This is not something in which necessarily Google could have done, at least so fluently and directly. So the question is what actually is GPT and how does it work? So GPT is what is called generative, and GPT can generate long sentences of unique text as the output. And notice importantly that most neural networks can solely respond with an output of yes or no in comparison to GPT in which responds in natural language, it responds as if you were speaking to another human. Importantly, GPT is what is called pre-trained, meaning that the language model has not been built with any specific domain knowledge, but it can complete domain-specific tasks like translation. Thus, GPT is hailed by many interesting and innovative companies and leaders. GPT clearly is the most innovative language model that we have this far. So the Jack GPT, which is developed by OpenAI, of course, is even more fascinating. And the recent launch showed that the chatbot is a software application designed to mimic human-like conversation based on user prompts. ChatGPT is a prototype in which is capable of understanding human natural language and also simultaneously providing increasingly rigorous outputs. In some cases, GPT was even used as a personal tutor. Let's look at this screenshot to see why. For example, one user stated, tell me when Christopher Columbus came to the US in 2015. This question is a bit tricky because Christopher Columbus died in 1506, so he could have not come to the US in 2015. But let's pretend for a moment that he could have done. And the chatbot obviously goes on to tell a story, some arbitrary kind of narrative in which many viewers useful, or at least hopes that this will be useful in the future. But the bottom line is, it's important to reframe GPT, the chatbot, and compare it to Google in this way. Fundamentally, ChatGPT is not a search engine. It's like an incredibly verbal intellectual person who can sometimes talk with complete confidence about things he or she knows little about. And whilst it's very exciting what ChatGPT can provide, we must realise that there's still a problem, and it doesn't know the difference between truth and falsehood. It can and just will make up the story on the spot. You should think of GPT more like an idea generator than a truth seeker, in which seems to be the kind of aim of Google. So the question then is, just to contrast that, how does Google work? And interestingly, Google searches its own advantage specifically the amount of data they have and the broader resources they have to collect the data. Yet, ChatGPT is a superpower, creating human-level bilateral communication, and which is exceeding Google's search limitation in capturing human intelligence. Since ChatGPT does not search the internet yet, it kind of, in reality, complements potential searches, and therefore it can be concluded that, at least this far, 
ChatGPT is definitely not a major competitor to Google and will not replace the search box. What is very interesting to me is the potential combination of Microsoft and OpenAI's language model of GPT. Microsoft invested around $1 billion into OpenAI a few years ago, which has led to some more rigorous kind of arguments and debates surrounding the potential for Microsoft to become the leading search engine via the introduction of a language model such as GPT. It is very possible that there is some sort of eyeing up of an integration down the line. Let's just listen to this clip of the Ulam podcast. It's very interesting and I think it gives a good understanding and perspective on what we're trying to get at. I think what was so stunning to me about this, I know you guys are probably expecting something to be said like this, but you could see so many human knowledge worker roles and, and, and functions being replaced by this extraordinary interface. So kids can do homework. That's easy. Uh, software engineers can get their code optimized and can get their code written for them. There's great examples of how software code has been written uh, by this interface. You could see real estate insurance salespeople being replaced by some sort of software like interface like this. Copywriters, you know, make me a hundred versions of a commercial or an ad that I can then use. Customer support completely replaced, right? If you guys remember, there were these automated customer support companies that started uh you know two decades ago now there was worked. this great flurry mm. all bpo businesses were all about lower cost human labor yeah. now the cost of human labor goes to zero sorry let me just say one more thing about this open ai thing i i do think that the biggest and most interesting um thing to think about is how this will um disrupt the search box the the search you know the way search works at google you know and, and the internet search is there are these kind of servers, these web crawlers that go out and gather data. Some are structured yes. data feeds, and some of them are just crawlers. And then that data is indexed, or in the, in the structured way, it's kind of made available for, for serving directly on the search page. So bear in mind that Google also is fairly secretive about their progress on a GPT competitor. And this is through the use of DeepMind, which is a more secretive kind of initiative that Google has been on since 2014. Google have created DeepMind, in which is the first neural network that is responsible for generation of AGI, general purpose artificial intelligence. DeepMind uses raw pixel data from user inputs and learns from experience. The AI uses deep learning on a convolution neural network with model-free reinforcement techniques called Q-learning. Whilst the idea of general AI is still incredibly controversial, Google have set out to propel themselves within this initiative, despite not much kind of commentary constantly coming from Google about this development. For example, DeepMind technology has been challenged to learn games on its own. For example, when it was tasked to beat the library of archery games, it learned to understand the games without changing the code. And after time, the AI could play the games better and better with more efficiency than humans. In pushing the boundaries of AI, DeepMind tasked itself with the fission of the board game Go. Go is a computational challenge for AI, largely because of the complexity of choosing among the immense number of possible moves in the game. DeepMind developed a special program and project called AlphaGo, a computer program designed to play a board game. After numerous versions of supervised learning AI models, AlphaGo beat the number one player in the world in 2017. Let's just listen to the CEO of OpenAI and his commentary regarding where he sees this going in the next few years and how a Google competitor could be built. Let's listen. So I, I think so far we've been in the realm where it's, you know, you can do like a, an incredible copywriting business or you can do like a sort of like education service or whatever. Um, but we, I don't think we've yet seen the kind of like 
people go after the like, you know, trillion dollar like take on Google's. Um, and I think that's about to happen. Like maybe it'll be successful, maybe Google will do it themselves, but like I would guess that with the quality of, of language models we'll see in the coming years, um, you know, there will be like a serious challenge to Google for the first time for, for a search product. Um, and I think people are really starting to think about like how do the fundamental things change? Um, and that's gonna be really powerful. Uh, I think that uh, uh, like a human level chat bot interface that actually works this time around, like I, I think like, you know, many of these trends that like, we all made fun of were just too early. Like the chat bot thing was good, it was just too early. Um, now it can work and I think, you know, having like new medical services that are done through that, uh, where you get great advice or new education services, like this, these are gonna be very large companies. Uh, I think we'll get multimodal models in not that much longer and that'll open up new things. I think people are doing amazing work with sort of agents that can use computers to do things for you, use programs. And this idea of like a language interface um, where you, know, you say in natural language what you want in this kind of like dialogue back and forth, you can iterate and refine it and the computer just does it for you. You see some of this uh, with like Dolly and Copilot in very early ways. Um, but I think this is gonna be a massive trend and you know, very large businesses will get built um, with this as the interface and more generally that like these very powerful models will, will be um, one of the genuine new technological platforms which we haven't really had since mobile. So there is Sam, the CEO of OpenAI, stating that in the future there's going to be a possibility and there's going to be some really exciting startups when it comes to search, in which is an area that hasn't really had major innovations in the past five, ten years. Google's innovation at, st at the start at inception was fairly revolutionary. It was something brand new. It was the creation of a product in which pre-seed never existed. However, in the past five years or so, there hasn't really been much development on this front. AGI and language models such as OpenAI's GPT and Google's DeepMind could easily become competitors to search, thus completely disrupting the industry and the safe narrative behind the potential investment within Google. I want to read you a quick excerpt from Peter Till, 0-1, and his commentary, in which I'm going to tie into Google and the danger of what I would call passive investing or being so blasé about the potential for innovation to disrupt. I know in the past few years you've had Cathy Wood, who's unhelpfully um, stigmatised the area of innovation, but in reality, innovation is what pushes society forward. And I believe we're on the cusp of a radical boom within innovation when it comes to Bitcoin, the real Bitcoin. If you've watched my past videos, you know what I mean about that. And also simultaneously, the use of AI, AGI, and brand new kind of embodied internets, such as the metaverse, in which I believe are likely to all come into fruition. This is what Peter Thiel said. The next Bill Gates will not build an operating system. The next Larry Page will not make a search engine. The next Mark Zuckerberg won't create a social network. If you're copying these guys, you aren't learning from them. Of course, it's easier to copy a model than to do something new. Every time we create something new, we go from zero to one. The act of creation is singular, as is the moment of creation. And the result is something fresh and strange. Fundamentally, the bottom line that I want to push forward is the fact that less Americans and less society and less businesses in general create something brand new, then they're solely copying a prior idea. Regardless of how big a company is, how much profit, how safe a company is perceived to be, unless that company creates something brand new, over the, lo over the long run, that company is going to fail. There is a necessity for innovation and the infamous clip of Peter Till smashing on stage to Google CEO verbally and calling him a fool and dismissing the 
so-called innovations that are occurring at Google and basically stating Google's more like a bank in which doesn't innovate. And therefore, if you invest in Google, you invest, you're, you're basically betting against the potential of an alternative innovation in which could challenge the search engine. Peter Drew was basically bashing Google, long story short, for the lack of innovation, and which has been apparent within the company for some time, many would argue. When it comes to the self-driving car, that seems to have failed. When it comes to the search engine, not much has changed over the past five, 10 years. When it comes to the so-called initiatives of deep AI and deep mind, not much is known about this. So Google's kind of criticism from Peter Thiel's perspective was the fact that there's no innovation going on. There seems to be some sort of stagnation occurring. And this is the point they want to reiterate. Whilst it can be viewed as safe in the moment to invest within so-called perceived safety, such as Google, Microsoft, or Meta for that matter. In reality, I think it's wise to acknowledge the idea of innovation and how innovation could dramatically change and disrupt the fabric of these companies and the safety, the perceived safety in which is labeled by many investors. Just to reiterate, it's wise to understand what does this word safety actually mean? What does the word safe actually mean? What does safety actually mean? Does safety mean hanging onto a business model and just stagnating and not taking on any other risk? Or does safety mean, as perhaps could be argued within the case of Meta, investing continuously within innovations in which does come with a level of risk, however, also simultaneously pushes the company forward, pushes the company towards longevity. And history proves that companies do have blind spots, no matter the size. History is scattered with dominant companies, companies that were literally monopolistic, companies that literally hailed by the media as being leaders. However, these companies failed. History is scattered with examples. For example, Pan Am, an airline industry. Also, you had IBM, you had Nokia. You had Polaroid. All companies that I just mentioned were leading companies that were monopolistic over something failed within the company. And this led to their ultimate demise. For example, let me read you a piece from my writing on Dantons.com in which describes Pan Am and the dominance they had in which later translated into a theatrical failure. Pan Am was a leader in a dominant airline company that controlled the skies during the 1930s. The company led by Mr. Trippi was known for their amazing technologies and radical innovations. The company was popularized in ways in which today is hard to imagine. To summarize Pan Am very easily and their innovations, it can be explained within a similar and very simple quote. People state that there is no way that this could ever work, but then it does. The company was the first flight to Latin America, across the Atlantic and the Pacific, just to name a few. Public was in true awe of the company. After years of domination and years of bigger, better and faster technologies, Pan Am signed the biggest deal in corporate history. For the time, $525 million for production of 25 new models of the first-class airplanes. This cycle basically continues for many, many years. But then it suddenly failed, and it fell within a theatrical fashion. Within dramatic fashion, the cycle turned one too many times. The notion of going bigger, better and faster with each iteration fell drastically. The music had stopped, but Pan Am did not notice. They were so focused on bigger, better and faster that the company missed vital change from their competitors. The music had stopped for Pan Am, but they did not notice. The company ordered hundreds of millions of dollars in new airplanes and splurged $200 million on revamping new airports. So whilst Pan Am was focused on expansion of their franchise, competitors were focused on changes and strategies. It turns out that this was the ultimate failure of Pan Am. The company lost money for eight years straight, and it stayed alive by selling pieces of itself. The office buildings, the hotels, the magical routes to China, all sold in a dire attempt for survival. The same is true for Nokia, IBM, and others, once dominant companies. Within the case of Nokia, for example, 
the innovative team at Nokia approached high-level management within the early inception of the new iPhones. And whilst this idea of the iPhone was brewing and had yet to come into fruition, Nokia's innovative team approached management and told them about the idea that they had for a touchscreen phone in an app store, based on a range of reasons, namely a bad implementation of game theory and skewed incentive systems. This led to the high-level management dismissing these radical innovations and these risks and these brand new ideas in a pursuit to stick with what is called safety. It turned out just a few months later, in a very dramatic manner, Steve Jobs unveiled the iPhone, in which was basically the same idea and the same implementation as Nokia had just a few months prior. So this basically was the issue with Nokia and many, many other companies, such as Polaroid and Pan Am, IBM, so on and so forth. These companies all failed to acknowledge and nurture early stage ideas, in which are often very ugly. And often these early stage ideas have warts. They don't look anything like the future adult that they will turn out to be. Thus, they dismissed these early stage ideas. They didn't give the early stage ideas any time to nurture. They didn't water these early stage flowers. And thus, these early stage ideas fail dramatically. These early stage ideas are fragile and often you have to nurture them. You have to work with them. You have to lift them up slightly. You have to water them. This wasn't the case with these companies that I just mentioned and therefore they failed. So history is scattered with the idea and the clear indication that successful companies, dominant companies, monopolistic companies have failed within the past. And the point that I'm making is that without innovation, companies don't succeed. And GPT and overall language models could easily become a major disruption for Google and companies in which perhaps haven't innovated. They've stagnated massively over the past few years.